Well, good morning. Thank you so much, H2O family, for joining us today. Um, and it is an exciting time, a beautiful day out today. Uh, I'm excited to be able to continue in this series and actually close the series of the Be the Church. Um, over the last few weeks throughout the summer, we have been going through this series of what does it look like for us as a family of God, for the church of Christ to actually truly live for Christ and be the church. And so what we've done is we went through a series of the one another commands. And so we went through love one another, uh, bear one another's burdens. And um, this week, we will also be continuing in that to close it all out. And we'll be actually talking about praying for one another. And so today we'll be actually in the book of James, uh, James chapter 5, 13 through 18. Um, and we're going to just talk about what does it look like for us to actually pray for one another and have healthy prayer lives as a people of God. So if you have your Bible um, or your smartphone or anything around you, please open up to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 and read with me. And it says this in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. Now that is the reading of God's word. So now before we actually dive into this, there are so many different things and nuances in this text that we need to point out. And so what you have to understand is this, in the book of James, it's kind of centered um, where James is actually writing to a people, writing to a church of people who are actually going through a lot of suffering right now. They're going through so much suffering and actually and earlier in this chapter, there's actually a mention of someone actually being killed and put to death. And so things are pretty hostile here in the book of James for people who, uh, the, the poor people who are being oppressed by the rich and there's just a lot of hostility going on. And so really what James calls for the church here in the middle of the suffering is in verse uh, seven through 12, actually, he says to them that they should actually be patient in their suffering and not to actually grumble with one another. And so what he says to, to them in this, he says, but hey, listen, what I want you to go and do is actually go and trust the Lord and be patient even in the midst of your suffering. And so then he says that the Lord will restore you. And then he even continues and says, wait, this is what you must go and do. And this is where we find ourselves in verse 13 through 18, where he actually calls them in the middle of everything that they're going to for a life of prayer. He wants them to go and pray. And so in this text, he's telling them to actually go and pray in every single circumstance. And so this is the call for every single believer. And it is for us to have a life that is centered on praying. But what's crazy and interesting though, is that this sounds very simple, doesn't it? it? Sounds really, really simple. But when we think about it, this is something as a church that we definitely don't do. I mean, we fail at this so often. Sometimes we might even look at prayer as something superstitious. And what's funny, this is something I actually uh, look at my life and I've actually experienced some of this when I played football. Before every single game, and people who've played sports might have even known this, a lot of people would just go and recite the Lord's Prayer as if it was some magical potion to go out and just do great in the game. 
It's like a superstitious thing that you did every week thinking that that was going to be what helped you play well. Um, but the thing is, some people might view prayer that way, but then other people might just think prayer just simply doesn't work. Or maybe some people are saying, man, I'd rather just trust my own intelligence and my own way of thinking, my own ingenuity, rather than relying upon God. And maybe some of you might be one of those people. It seems like as the people of God, we just don't actually believe in the power of prayer. We don't actually believe in the supernatural work of God to actually move and work. But here in this text, though, James is saying, no, what you must actually go and do is pray. And so really, in this section, the question for us that we need to answer is, will we be a people of prayer? Will we be a people who actually live our lives in prayer, trusting that God will actually move in our lives? Will we go and commune with the living God in prayer is the real question. Which leads me to my big idea for this, talk, for this sermon today, and it's this. In order for us to actually be the church, we must be people who pray in all circumstances. In order for us to be the church, we must be people who pray in all circumstances. And so for, in order for us to actually understand what this looks like, I'm going to break James down into four just simple points. And my first point is this. We should pray and praise in suffering and joy. We should pray and praise and suffering and joy. And so right here in the beginning of this section, James makes it pretty much totally clear as to why we should actually be going and praying. He said, hey, if anyone is suffering, you should go to pray. Let that person pray. And so the words of James here actually leads us to the fact that our response to suffering should actually be praying to God in the middle of everything that we go through. I find this so fascinating, though, because one of the first things I think about is where do we go when we're suffering? I know for myself and many other people, we go to complaining, we go to grumbling, maybe we go and find other things to, to make us feel better in the middle of our suffering. And, and I'm guilty of this as well, but one of the things I realize we don't do is actually go to God first in prayer. But here in the text, James is making it pretty clear that we must go and pray. And so one of the things though that you might think about, you might be asked, thinking of this question of like, well, why should I go and pray in suffering? Well, James actually gives us a glimpse of this at the beginning of the chapter in verses 7 through 12, as he's addressing the sufferings of the Christians in the church. And he tells them that they are to be patient, steadfast into the coming of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so he is saying this because he's like, hey, when we go and pray, it should lead us to the feet of God. Prayer should lead us to the feet of God to sustain us and supply all of our needs. And this is what he wants for us. He wants us to run to the Lord for spiritual strength in everything that we face. And this is so lovely because when we even think about the scriptures as a whole, we see this in many different circumstances where we see people in the scriptures going and seeking God in their suffering. Job is a prime example. And if anyone's ever spent time in the Psalms, there are definitely many other Psalms where in distress, the psalmist actually goes and spend time seeking God in his suffering. And you can see that even in something like Psalm 116 or Psalm 63 and Psalm 42. But the cool thing, though, is even though that we're supposed to run to God as for our hope and our suffering, it doesn't just end there. It's really cool because here we actually are told by James that you shouldn't just run to the Lord when you're suffering, when things are bad. The second part of this verse, he says, is anyone among you cheerful? Another way to translate is anyone happy? And he says that, that let that person go and sing praises. The Greek word for, for praise here is euthymeo. So this word actually means to be in good spirits, right? And so really what, what that means is that 
no matter the circumstances, whether you're in a good circumstance or a bad circumstance, if you're cheerful, the call is for you to go and sing praises to God. And so James is saying like, hey, some of y'all are cheerful no matter what the circumstance is. And so for you, you must go and sing praises to God, which is actually a form of prayer. And so some of us, when we think about our lives today, you might be actually having a great time of your life right now. Maybe God's providing for you like none other in the midst of the coronavirus, or maybe you're just excited that you get to actually go out and enjoy life, even though Corona has changed a lot of our lives. But one of the things we must understand is that when we are in prayer, when we are in prayer and when we are seeking the Lord, we should be singing praises to him, especially when things are good or if they're bad, which is interesting because this is one of the same things that Paul actually said to the church in Thessalonica. And he says to them in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it is apparent that in scripture that we are called to in all circumstances to go and pray to the Lord. That's the response for every single Christian. Now, there are other times that we should be going to go pray that that don't just include suffering or prayer, but also we should be praying when we're sick, which leads me to my second point. It is this. We should seek prayer when we're sick. We should seek prayer when we're sick. So in verses 14 and 15, it says this, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So here we see, again, there's this call from James calling the people to prayer. But really what I have to say is this, though, before we even dive in this text here, these couple of verses need a little bit more explanation as there's just so much going on. And so here you see James start out with this question, is anyone among you sick? The word sick here actually, which is uh, in the Greek, means nail. It's a, it's a word that means to be physically weak or mentally or spiritually weak. But here, James might have something in mind of someone who's actually physically in a horrendous spot. And you can see that even when you see that he says to, hey, go call for the elders. Let the elders come and pray and lay hands. It's a prayer over, right? And then also in verse 15, there's a mentioning of like, hey, in this, in the prayer, the Lord will actually raise up the person. So really, James has given us this picture of a person who is more than likely bedridden. And so this is the type of sickness that he's referring to, a physical sickness. Now, what this doesn't mean, though, when you think about this text is that you should never go to a doctor. That would actually kind of be foolish sometimes if you never went to a doctor when things were really bad. Sometimes you might, you might not need to just use medicine, but you might actually need to go to a doctor as doctors are a gift from God. But what I think James is really saying here is will we as the people of God go and seek him first? Will we seek God first, the one who actually created our bodies? Will we actually seek him out in prayer? And so here for the sick person, they may actually be physically not able to move. And because of this, he also says if they're not able to move, they should go call for the elders and who will actually come and pray for them and anoint them with oil. Well, some of you may be wondering, well, what is, why anoint them with oil? What does the oil actually represent? Well, the oil itself is just a symbolic act of setting a person apart for the special attention of God. So really, this is essentially presenting someone before God so that God can actually work and move. And so this is what he's talking about in terms of the oil. Now, what I must say is this, though, is even though the oil, the oil is a symbolic act, it's not all about the oil. The oil in the reference to the anointing with oil 
actually is in the name of the Lord. So what it means is that the oil itself isn't magical. The oil isn't where the healing is. The oil is in the Lord. And so the healing isn't in the hands of the person that is laying and praying over the sick person. It's not in the oil. It is in the Lord himself. And this is how we tap into God's power through prayer. This is only done through Christ, through the power of him being able to bring healing, not by the hands of any man. It is literally by God through the power of Christ for healing to take place. Now, what we must understand, though, is that you don't necessarily even need oil to go and pray for people. And James even tells us that in verse 13. It's like, hey, if anyone's suffering, just let them go pray. There's no mentioning of oil there, right? And this actually, when you think about this, this instance of anointing with oil is the first and only instance in the epistles, but it's not the only one in the New Testament. As in Mark 6, 13, it actually says this in reference to the disciples. It says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so here you can see from, from even that verse and even the text in general, that, that oil can be used to pray for people in terms of healing, but it does not always have to be used. There are also many examples where people were healed and oil wasn't actually involved. And so what we see though from James is something very, very important. Very, very important. Here when we seek prayer from our elders though, he says something really interesting in this verse. He says that the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, Meaning the prayer of faith, meaning it's the faith of the person who is going to go pray for someone. It is a person who trusts in God to heal, who says that God is above all sickness and we will trust in him alone. That is what the prayer of faith is. And what he says in attachment to that, though, is that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I love that part of the verse because James' words are pretty clear. Like, hey, our prayers and faith and trusting in God can actually be a part of God moving in a way. But what you have to see here, though, this, there's a word I want to point out to you, and it's the word the Lord will save, which in the Greek, the word save here means sozo, which means to heal or restore. But then also the word to, for raise up in the Greek actually means to be physically risen up or if someone from go to laying down or seated to standing up, or it could also mean from moving from death to life. And so what James is saying here and what we see is something that we also see in the Gospels of what the prayer of faith looks like. And you can see that in, in Matthew 9, 21 to 22, Mark 5, 28 through 36, and even Mark 10, 52, where these are instances of where someone's faith was a part of them being healed both spiritually and physically. But I must say this, though. I have to communicate this with everyone that's listening. Just because some people have literally taken this verse out of context and they say, well, if I have enough faith, then God has to heal me. But that's not what this is saying here. And when someone actually thinks that, that is actually something very sick. It is a manipulation of the scriptures and a manipulation of God thinking we can control God if we just have enough faith that he can heal us. But this isn't right, especially when you take into a context the, the, the totality of scripture as a whole and even the life of people who have went to God in prayer and actually weren't healed. And what's crazy though, is I love scripture because even Paul himself in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 he actually talks about going to go seek the Lord three times for a thorn in his flesh to be removed and it didn't happen and so here we can see even from Paul and even from James that he gives us a picture of why that form of thinking that if I just have enough faith that God will heal me is, is, is pretty much wrong and he even shows us that by a simple word as to why it is even wrong in verse 15 and that word is will he says the Lord will save the person. The Lord will raise the person up. 
These are wise words from James because yes, the Lord will save and restore the sick person, but it will either happen today in this time, in this life where we're living right now, where we will get to see the, the, the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven, or it will actually happen in the life to come, when God will come back and fully restore the earth, where he, there will be no more sickness, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more diseases, there'll be no more decay. That is when Christ returns for a second time. So yes, you will receive and see the healing power of Christ that the resurrection brings the believer, but it may not actually happen in this time period. And if it does, that means it's actually a part of God's will and what he wants in this moment. So even if we pray in faith, we can be expectant that Christ will heal but even if it doesn't, that doesn't make him any less God. That doesn't make him any less good. Because he still provided us something so great when we think about the gospel and life. right? He actually provided us the greatest healing over the sickness of sin in the heart, which is what you see in the rest of verse 15, where James transitions from the physical to the spiritual. And he says, yes, if he has actually committed sins, he will be forgiven. There's something powerful about this, though. Because ultimately, we need to have our sins forgiven, even if we're praying for physical healing for someone. We need to have our sins forgiven. Because why? Sin is actually a pernicious disease that affects us. And we need to be healed of it. We need to be healed of our sin. And that can only happen through Christ. Only faith in Christ over his death and resurrection, over him taking sin upon himself, is where we can actually find the forgiveness of sin and be found to be healed from our sins. And so this is just the gospel in its simplicity. It's good news. It's good news that we can have our sins forgiven because ultimately what matters is when we stand before God at the end of our lives, it will be the fact that we need to have sin forgiven in our lives and we need Christ's righteousness, what we'll actually talk about a little bit later. But we ultimately, we need to be forgiven for sin. We need to be healed from the depths of it because it affects us. Which leads me to my third point though. Confession and prayer is a community response to sickness. And you can see this in the beginning of verse 16. As after James starts to mention, if the person being prayed for has committed sins, he then says, therefore go and confess your sins and pray for one another that you may be healed. So here he begins to address the church as a whole. So early he talked about the elders, the individual to the elders, and now he's addressing the church as a whole, right? And he says like, hey, he brings in sin and confession and says, this must happen so that we can be healed. Now this verse though can seem a little bit confusing for some people when you see the words that you may be healed, especially when you think of in light of verse 15, because it seemed like it could, that, that sin could be something that is connected to someone's physical healing every time. But what I must clear up is this, is James is saying this and it's pretty clear. He's not saying to us that, hey, every time that you are sick, it's because you have sin. That's not what he's saying. But He's saying, but he's giving us this picture because during James's time period, there actually might've been people who actually would have looked at sickness every time you were physically sick and said like, hey, you have been sinning, right? That was what Job's friends pretty much said to him. Like, hey, the reason you're sick is because you've sinned. But no, that's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying that, yeah, some of us may have some sin that is connected to our, our physical sickness, but they're not always connected, which is why he says, if they have sinned, in verse 15. So the word if there is a huge clarification that sin does not always have to be connected to someone being physically sick. And so with all that into consideration in light of, verse, of all these verses for us today in verse 16, the beginning of this, it shows us what's really important. And it is the work, in our, it, this is the work of Christ 
in our lives, not just for physical healing, but for spiritual healing. Not saying that we can't go and actually pray for someone. And you see that actually in verses 14 and 15, that yeah, you must go and pray for other people and pray for yourself and trust God in that. But the thing is, is like we are outwardly wasting away and inwardly being renewed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So it can't mean that physical healing is the only thing of importance here. And this is a picture of what James has in view, that it's not the only thing. Because here you see he shifts his focus. And so because of these things, because we are sick, and it could be connected to sin in our lives, and because we have sin in general, right? He says something great. He says, go therefore and confess your sins and repent and pray for one another. This is the calling for the church. Even in sickness, even in sin, we must go and confess and repent before God. This has to be our posture. Confession and prayer for one another actually shows a deep level of intimacy and care for each other as we lay our lives before God. We lay our friends and family before God, asking in full reliance upon God to come and actually heal and save our souls, not even just our physical bodies. And what's crazy is, I'll be honest though, this all sounds really, really nice, but we actually struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with this deeply. Why we lack the depths of community and oneness in Christ as people who've actually been adopted into the same family, right? There are so many of us that we become so private in our Christianity that we actually don't ever want to go confess or actually want to go pray for one another. We live in so much shame and guilt and selfishness and pride that we actually sometimes forget that the church is called to bear one another's burdens, as we talked about a few weeks ago. But yeah, what we have to understand, though, is that the call for us, though, by James is to confess and pray for one another. That's the calling so that we can have healing take place, not just physically, but spiritually in our lives. And so confession and prayer before God and others, what it does is something so great, it does something amazing. And it brings to light our sin so that the sin that's kept in the dark can literally be killed so that we can be set free, which is the same thing that Pardee talked about a couple weeks ago about the power of what it looks like for the believers to actually go and confess sin that it might actually set them free in Christ. And this is what we must walk in. We must walk in confession and prayer for one another, praying for our brothers and sisters, that our souls may be healed that we would present ourselves before God, that we, could be, that we could actually look like the church, that we could be changed. And so this prayer though, that we, can, that we can have for one another, doesn't have to be something that's just whimsical. It can be something that can actually have so much power as God heals our, hears our prayers. And so what I, this leads me to my, my fourth point, and it's this. As God's people, we have powerful prayers. As God's people, we have powerful prayers. And so in verse 16, the second half of it through 18, it says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power that it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so here in these verses, we see James say something very, very uplifting for the believer. He says that the prayers of a righteous person are actually very powerful. And I think he actually answers a question in that statement that we all might be asking ourselves right now is does prayer actually work? Some people might actually be wondering that right now as you're hearing me out. Does prayer actually work? Does God hear our prayers and 
He's saying yes. And guess what? Your prayers, God does hear them and they actually are powerful. Why? He gives us the answer why by just one simple word in there, a righteous person. So righteous is the word we want to focus on. So really we want to think about well, who is a righteous person? Well, a righteous person is one who's actually been covered by the blood of Christ. Those who have repented and actually believed in the gospel. That's who a righteous person is. It is a person who has had Christ's righteous, righteousness imputed to them. This is a person who walks by faith, who trusts in the Lord, a person who doesn't show partiality, who trusts in the will of God, a person who, does, who, who learns to tame their tongue, someone who actually isn't perfect, someone who isn't pers- perfect, but actually displays the glory of Christ through the way that they live their life. That's what a righteous person is. And so what this means for us, though, is that those who are in Christ, your prayers actually have power because Christ resides in you. So the power in your prayer isn't because of you, it's because of Christ's righteousness in you. So the implication of this is if we actually believe in this, that the power of the gospel and in 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 Christ's goodness, then why are we a people who don't actually believe in the power of prayer? Why are we a people that don't believe in the power of prayer? Why are we are a people who say, I'll go and pray for you, but actually don't. Why don't we go and actually seek intervention and communion with the living God who gave us everything? Maybe it's because we have so much pride in our lives and in our hearts, or maybe amnesia that we forget that God's actually good, which was actually something that the Israelites struggle with. But so often what happens is we would rather go and seek healing and find ways to be satisfied by so many other things rather than trusting in the creator of all things. But what you have to understand is that for the person who's in Christ, there's power in your prayers, not because of anything you've done yourself, but because of the power of Christ and relying upon him who actually is the God of the universe who went and saved an entire people from slavery. The God who went and actually provided manna and water for a people that actually were idolatrous and didn't even want him. The God who actually defeated and gave strength to the Israelites to defeat their enemies. And also the God who raised Christ from the grave. That's where the power in our prayers come from is him. So this is why when you think about prayer, it involves Jesus' name, why the righteous person has power in their prayers. And it's because it is in full reliance upon the God of heaven who brought salvation to broken hearts and broken bodies by himself actually stepping into brokenness, by, being, by himself being beaten, and also taking on the brokenness of sin and raising above it so that we can be healed from the sickness of sin. And he brought us into relationship with himself through all of that. That's where the power resides. That's where it comes from, from God himself who raised Christ from the grave. Now it's apparent though, that when we think about this text, that James actually wants the church to understand something as he's like, yeah, there's power in your prayers. But he also says, you know what? I think I need to give them an example of what this looks like. And he actually talks about Elijah. And he says to us that Elijah was just human like us and he went and prayed. And you can read a little bit about Elijah in 1 Kings, but what you see here, and when you even go look at 1 Kings is that Elijah was a flawed man in, in so many ways. But what you can also see in Elijah's life is that he trusted and relied upon God and the way that he lived so much that he said, I'm gonna go and pray fervently. This is significant, significant. As Elijah was a man that loved God, and in his his humanity, he relied upon God to get things done. He says, you know what, I'm going to go to God in the scripture with James. He says he went to pray fervently. He prayed fervently, and he prayed consistently. He had consistent and persevering prayers 
And what he is saying here is when we look at that, is that, yeah, prayer works. But also, it has to be restated this, though, that as prayer works, though, we have to also say this, that when we are going to pray and God, pray to God, I have to say this. Not every time that we're going to go pray for something, God's going to give us exactly what we want. But that does not change his character. It doesn't change who God is because God is who he says he is. Right. And he can and he knows better than us. So when we go and pray and he doesn't answer, he knows what's best. And we have to trust in that. But James here, when he shares Elijah with us, he's not just sharing Elijah to just give us comfort. He wants to give us an example of what powerful prayers can look like. But what he's also showing us is that we must have fervent and persistent prayers as if our lives depend on it. We must be a people who will go to God in prayer consistently, just like Elijah did. We see here that when it talks about Elijah fervently prayed, it means that Elijah was actually praying in his prayers, meaning that this man was literally praying so much to God that he was just constantly in prayer, fervently, that it might not actually rain. So what that means is when it says he prayed fervently, that means that actually he was praying and the things that he prayed for didn't actually happen right away, but he kept praying. He kept seeking God. He kept trusting in the Lord. And so what we must understand this is that even though we are people who are called to pray, we are also people who sometimes we go to prayer and we say, well, I prayed once, that's the end of it. But here in this text, there is something that James is telling us is that, hey, you must fervently go in prayer. You must be consistent in prayer. And this actually reminds me of a story. Recently, over the last year, we had some news that my grandmother had uh, some tumors on her brain and my mom called me and we spent some time in prayer over those things. And what I have to say, this is my mom's a praying woman. Okay. If you want to know anybody that prays, my mama is that lady. She will pray about everything. If I ever need a prayer warrior and somebody to pray for me, I'm calling my mom because she prays to the Lord. And she's one of those people like Elijah that prays fervently. She prays in her prayers. And so we were praying just fervently over my grandmother. And actually I got word from my mother that even though the doctors were thinking that, yeah, these tumors could be cancerous and that there were many of them that through our prayers and through trusting in God, that they go back later, the tumors actually aren't cancerous. One of them actually isn't there anymore and another actually shrinked 90% in size. And so this is a moment where we actually got to see in our praying and our trusting in our praying and praying and praying and praying that God actually works and hears us when we pray. We think about this prayer from my, my mother, my grandmother, this type of prayer is actually similar to what we see in Luke 18, one through eight, where it's, it's the story of the persistent widow. And here, I would actually suggest going to read the section. It's a powerful section, but I just want to read one verse from it. And it says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so we must be a people who will consistently go to God in prayer. And so as I get ready to close, family of God, my question is this. Will we tap into the power of prayer through Christ that he would be able to come and heal our land? that he would heal our families and our relationships and our lives? Or will we be a people who actually claim Jesus, but never actually truly trust in the miraculous saving power of a God who brought transformation and restoration to a broken people? Where will we be? Are we gonna be a people of prayer who trust in God or will we not? Let us pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this great word that you've given us. Thank you for the book of James pointing us towards prayer. God, I just pray that as a family and as a body that we would be people who would consistently pray, that we would trust you so much 
in the way that we live. Prayer is this place of humility before you, knowing that only you could get it done. And so I pray that we would be a people who would confess sin, that we would go and repent, but we'll also pray for one another that our souls might actually be healed. So we just thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for Christ, that he's our mediator, that he mediates for us, that you actually hear our prayers as well. And so we just thank you so much and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.